Welcome to The Lens, hosted by Catalysis, where we get a glimpse inside healthcare organizations that are transforming to a culture of improvement to deliver continually higher value outcomes for patients, staff, and communities. Visit createvalue.org slash the lens for more information about Catalysis. Welcome back to The Lens. I'm your host, Peter Mariazzi. It is my pleasure today to be speaking to Matt Pollard. Matt is a former ER doc and is now the Vice President of Continuous Improvement at Intermountain Healthcare in Salt Lake City. And Matt has shared the importance of closing the loop and constant diligence in maintaining and examining your systems to keep them moving forward. Intermountain Healthcare is a longtime member of the Catalysis Healthcare Value Network. And for more information on the network, go to createvalue.org and look under the peer-to-peer learning menu. Matt, I want to thank you for taking the time in, in what is clearly a busy time and, and busy period. Um, so thank you for taking the time to speak with us today and sharing with the Catalysis community. Yeah, thank you, Peter. Yeah, it's great to be with you. I, I love Catalysis. It's been a great way for me to begin my journey with who I am as a leader. Uh, we've been involved for a long time, so it's a pleasure to be with you today. And, and what's neat for me is as we get to interact often over the years, the Intermountain team really embodies the concepts of humility and constant learning, and that's exciting. So to introduce you to the listeners, tell us a little bit about you, your journey, and Intermountain Healthcare, where things are at. Sure. Thanks, Peter. And you know, I do admit it's a little painful for you to say, or for me to hear you say a former ER talk, because... <laughs> I really am a former ER doc at this point. I, I like to say I'm a washed up emergency physician, but that's who I am at my core. And that's, matter of fact, I have a personal uh, mission, vision, and value statement. It's up here on my wall. And I look at that. And um, part of that is just remembering who I am as a physician. I think that's important as I work with leaders and, and teams to never forget that because um, they're the ones really doing the work, right? Those frontline workers. And I never want to forget that. So that is part of who I am, but I did, um, I'll, I'll be brief with some background, but um, as an emergency physician, I became really frustrated with healthcare right out of residency. And that's probably why I'm, I'm where I am today, because I was one of those physicians that was always trying to improve things and yet at the same time was always being told I couldn't do things. And that just emboldened me, I think, even more. Um, I found myself in some leadership roles as a department chair and, and some other roles. And then I think it was at that point that the CEO of our hospital recognized that I was maybe someone that they could work with as a team. They were doing an early pilot with continuous improvement and I joined that team and over the course of several years, I gradually lessened my time in the, in the emergency department and, and increased my time with our continuous improvement team. And um, I'll never forget the first time I went to one of our partners up to Seattle Children's and um, I saw the vision for what I was trying to do. I just didn't know what it was called. I was always that kid who organized his socks a certain way in his drawers and organized his room efficiently. And I was kind of nerdy that way, but um, seeing this um, in another environment was help, was, was really helpful. Um, so I was, I was really lucky because I was part of that early pilot effort. And we then 
um, had so much success with our pilot that it went system-wide. And about that time, I decided to get some formal training in continuous improvement at, at uh, Ohio State in their MBOE program, which I highly recommend. It was a great program. I didn't have the luxury of getting this kind of training um, elsewhere and in, in this experience, I didn't have business training, but I wanted that operational excellence perspective. Um, however, I will say that the greatest training that I have had has been from amazing tutors that have um, come from other industries and some within healthcare also that really have helped me understand the basic tenets of continuous improvement and the, the origins of this. Um, so people like Scott Saxton, who to this day and, and, and other team members that I have or have been great mentors, Brian Crowell, Scott Saxton and, and others. And our CEO, Tim Pearson at the time um, in, in our Northern region saw, I think um, some potential and I, I appreciate him having patience with me as we figured all this out. So, and then Intermountain Healthcare after, after that initial pilot, this was more than 10 years ago, uh, because they saw the success, we took the system wide and I've been a part of the system team ever since then, first as the medical director and now as the vice president for about the past four years or so. And that's a great opportunity. We have great leaders at Intermountain. Our executive team really likes what we're doing. They're great supporters, they live it. And we have a great environment to do something special. And we have so many opportunities, um, but it's been I feel like we're in a good spot. It's been a great journey and some of our most important work is ahead of us. Great. And, and it is clearly continuous learning and continuous improvement. So I, I, you, you spoke at our summit and you, you talked about a concept of a system of systems. Can you, can you help the understand, listeners understand the importance of a system of systems? Sure. It's, it's one of the catchphrases, I guess, that I have... Uh, I like to invent catchphrases to help people. It kind of jogs their brains a little bit and helps them understand some concepts. Every organization, in my opinion, has a method for improvement or a model. They just may not realize it. If they haven't been deliberate about it, it really just may be traditional um, organizational uh, management or healthcare management, et cetera. It may even be organized chaos, but every organization has some method for improvement. So why not make it deliberate with um, a formal operating model that provides that framework um, that you can then attach your subsystems to? It, it all needs to connect in order for it to be successful. It can't be siloed. Um, and I, I think a good way of thinking about this is we start with strategy deployment through a line and C. Um, our strategy sets the rest of the stage for the operating model. So once our strategy is determined each year through our strategy deployment process, we then display our strategy on performance boards organized in our fundamentals, which are kind of like the, the missions of the work site. So safety, quality, experience, et cetera. That then cascades to the whole organization. Everything else then connects to this strategy. So another subsystem that we have is our escalation huddles. And sometimes leaders don't realize that our escalation huddles actually align to our strategy. We actually organize the items that are escalated in these fundamentals that I, that I refer to. So that's one system that's one subsystem that supports another subsystem, which is strategy. Our improvement efforts, you know, whether they're projects or PDSA 
are all also directed at improving those same metrics. And then, of course, we um, we're trying to learn from and, and share best practices across the organization. That's another subsystem, but it's aligned to our strategy. So it kind of goes back to the Shingo model framework, which is more of a conceptual framework than it is a true operating model. Um, but it all needs to support each other. That's why I'd like to call it a system of systems, because you have these subsystems that, that really help the whole. And in healthcare, why not use the human body as a great example of that, right? The whole organism with its subsystems, the cardiovascular system, you know, the neurologic system, et cetera. They're all subsystems, but they're connected together. That's how we like to look at the operating model. And that really supports the whole concept of making it sustainable, doesn't it? I mean, that that exactly. carries it forward. So during your um, keynote at our summit this June, you talked about the importance, how important it is to close the loop, to avoid, and I love the scientific term, entropy, that is around all we do. Why is that important? Yeah, I think it goes back, Peter, to what we were just talking about. It all these subsystems support each other. How many times have you seen an improvement made and then it, it gradually comes back to its baseline, right? We make all these great improvements with a clinical outcome, you know, be it sepsis or surgical site infections or whatever, because there's this concerted effort. It's almost Hawthorne effect, right? Where people are focused on it. Great, we make the improvement and then it comes back to where it was before. And we say, well, what happened? That's because we didn't have a system of systems to sustain it. So in it in its natural state, all improvement activity is devolving into disorder unless we're purposeful about keeping them together through routine standard follow-up. So that, that's closing the loop. That's the glue that holds our entire operating model together. And I think it's even particularly important within healthcare because we're, we're getting better at automating processes but we are a human-driven environment. So unlike other other industries that have the luxury of automating some of these things, we can't in many instances, in, in most instances. So humans are just, um, we're full of variation, right? We all think differently. The only variation really should come from the patient and that at least that's what we aspire to. Um, but we, it just takes a constant effort to make sure that we can close the loop on all these systems that we have put in the, into place, be it your strategy, your improvement, the huddle process, every one of those requires an effort to close the loop. Matt, you shared an analogy that I thought was a great image. You talked about a sandcastle as a very clear way to support that whole entropy concept. And how does that help you? How does that analogy help you share the message of constant and continuous effort with your teams? Yeah, this is a great image. I actually learned this from Skip Stewart down at Baptist Health. And um, just, you know, having something that is easier to relate to is, I think, really important as we're teaching these concepts to people. An observation that I would make as healthcare has adopted lean or continuous improvement is that the language doesn't always connect with people. Um, and, and so I think using analogies such as this sandcastle and some other uh, some other analogies that we like to use. It's a great way to help people learn new concepts. We just talked about the human body as a system of systems, for example, that helps them understand. And this, 
this concept, I mean, everyone's built a sandcastle that has fallen apart, right? So they can relate to it. So I think it really helps. And, you know, for the same reason, we try to avoid industrial terms. As a matter of fact, we redesigned our whole model about that. We can talk about that um, here if you want, but we redesigned our model because it seemed too sterile or industrial. And, and we also avoid Japanese catchphrases. I, I mean, I know that that is fun and I, I really do respect that culture, but it doesn't resonate with, with our leaders. So this is just one example of how using an analogy like the sandcastle really helps leaders understand what is their role. And and an important concept in lean is is you know visual representation so people can see it like you said so they can understand it and and you shared that Intermountain adjusted the visual for closing the loop that is shared with all team members you now list align and see engage and improve learn and share why this particular phraseology and how did that benefit you in keeping the concept in front of everybody so everybody could be engaged. Yeah, I mentioned that we redesigned the model um, for a few different reasons. Um, basically, two major reasons. First was we needed to demonstrate that closing the loop is the glue that holds the whole model together. Previously, we had seven systems, and closing the loop was just one of those seven systems. It wasn't really called out as um, having any more importance than anything else. Now, with our current graphic, we have those three major subsystems. So align and see, engage and improve and learn and share kind of in the, in the center. And then it's held together on the outside by that leader follow-up. And we changed from closing the loop to leader follow-up because um, people are having a hard time grasping the concept of closing the loop. It was natural to some people, but to many, it, it didn't really make sense. They would often say, well, what do you mean by close the loop? So we changed that to leader follow-up because that's really what we're hoping, that's the behavior that we're trying to create, right? With leaders is that they have to follow up to all of these different systems that are put into place. And it's resonated, I think, better with, with our leaders. And once again, it, it, the whole model is really propped up by the leader follow-up. And if they can understand their role you know, their role is not to go to meetings or to answer email or to um, put out fires, but rather if they can understand that through closing the loop and leader follow-up, they can sustain these systems that will keep us from having these breakdowns, that's when we get closer to the magic of high reliability. So I think with this current iteration, we're even a little bit closer and who knows, maybe we'll change it again, Peter. Um, but it, it's been good for us uh, so far as we've done it this year. And it's been particularly good as we have merged with um, SCL Health based out of Denver. Um, they're now part of Intermountain Healthcare and we've started using this there and it seems to be resonating well. So, you know, you talk about the leaders and, and them following up and the importance of that and not spending time in meetings. And, and you made a statement and I've heard someone else share it as well that in healthcare, your quality system is your management system. Why is that the case? Yeah, I think this, it took me a little while to come to this realization, actually, um, as I visited other organizations and I looked at our own organization. And then as I studied other industries, for some reason in healthcare, when we've adopted continuous improvement, we have quality on one side and continuous improvement on the other you know, like continuous improvement is for operational excellence only. I don't think we've made the connection 
that operational excellence is quality. So in an automotive industry, for example, it's easier to make that connection. Um, and I realized that in other industries, they do have a quality department that is doing audits um, and, and layered follow-up. But I feel like we have separated those. So they're in, in two distinct silos. So I, I think that in healthcare, our quality systems lag behind other industries, frankly, and that's not an indictment of our quality colleagues. They do amazing work. Um, but if you look at the defect rate, and that's what it is, right? It's, it's defects. If we look at that in healthcare, it's staggering what we face. So despite the great strides, there's a lot of work that we have to do. And I think that we should not see the quality system and operating model as different, but rather the operating model should support that quality management system. And just saying quality management system in healthcare, I, I know it ruffles feathers a, a little bit, but it's okay to talk about it. They, they can't be seen as separate. And I know they may be separate departments in some organizations like they are in our organization, but we always say in our organization that our department of continuous improvement supports the quality team and their efforts. It's the same system that we also use to improve operations. And it, it, it just needs to be one effort across the organization. This is the way that we do our work. And I really think that there's a ton of potential. This is that next frontier with what we're trying to do with um, catalysis and in, in all of healthcare with what operating models can do, getting us to that next level of reliability and improving quality and safety is why we do continuous improvement, in my opinion. Well, and it, it really reinforces the desired output of a healthy patient, right? If you're delivering quality services, quality care, then that's going to get you to that desired outcome. And you know, there's there's been a lot of discussion about tools and culture, and, and you made a very important distinction, I thought, at one point, of the difference between tool versus culture. Can you talk about that a little bit within Intermountain? Sure, you bet. As a matter of fact, this morning, I was having a discussion with a leader from another organization, and their question was, how do you create that culture? And I, it goes back to I think the early days of continuous improvement within healthcare, once again, and I, I know it's maybe sounding like I'm critical a little bit, but I think we've all learned um, when we first started doing continuous improvement, it was very easy to just latch on to these tools that were, they were so sexy, right? Doing value stream mapping was so new in healthcare. And, and so people were like, oh yeah, we're going to value stream map our way to success, or we're going to... Um, Go, we're going to get to success through these Lean Six Sigma projects. These done in isolation don't create a culture. A, a project-based approach to continuous improvement will have good initial success, but in my opinion, you'll, you'll never create a culture until you have these projects um, and these tools that are tied to this greater system of systems. More, moreover, I think that if you have a team of experts that comes into a work unit, and they improve a process um, without involving a team or a limited involvement of team. And then they go on to just, you know, what's their next assigned project? It's a huge missed opportunity. They don't harness the intellect of the team. They don't understand the work like those that are engaged in the work every day. Um, and, and so not only do you come up with something that I think isn't going to be your best way to improve the processes, but now you've lost out on an opportunity to, to engage the hearts and minds of those that are doing the work. So 
Now, with that said, tools are important. Um, projects are important. And I like to say that tools can be great cultural enablers when part of a system of systems, but tools by themselves, it's really easy to glom onto, but they will, they will not get you to that long-term success and in and of themselves do not create that culture. Well, and you're not leaving capability either. And so what the next thing is they want to work on isn't embedded in that ability and that skill to move forward. It's the teach to fish versus giving a fish kind of mentality. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually, Peter. And, and one that I think I often forget, I, I tell the RCI team that we're trying to almost work ourselves out of a job. So when we, you know, we can't possibly train 60,000 caregivers uh, we can't run them through all of our courses, right? It's impossible, but we can, as we're working on projects with them, we can teach them the eight ways. We can teach them about flow and leave them a little bit more capable. So when the next problem comes, when they need to involve us, it's actually a little bit later in the process because now they have some understanding and then each time they just get better and better. We have some teams now that are pretty self-sufficient and they only call us when they need to actually use some of these more sophisticated tools. So I'm really glad that you mentioned that. I love hearing that. And, and part of the interaction between whether it's um, the CI team and the frontline people, or if it's the executives and other, you really, you got a very strong reaction in your keynote when you were talking about the difference between catch ball and dodgeball. <laughs> and, and everybody seemed to get, Hey, that, Again, a great image and a great analogy to help share a concept. Well, you talk about the difference between these. Yeah, it, you know, it's funny because I've I've received a lot of flack over saying catchball in our organization because people they'll say, "Well, what's what is catchball?" And when I say, "Well, what's dodgeball?" They understand what dodgeball is, right? Um, and then if you can help them, you know, this is like the sandcastle analogy. Everyone understands dodgeball. And if you put that in the context of how we deploy our strategy in the organization, then they actually start laughing because they know exactly what you're talking about, how dodgeball implies a mandate. You know, you're just being told, you know, go do this. And it's like leaders are trying to dodge out of the way of, you know, all these different parts of the organization trying to send them, you know, metrics, KPIs, goals, initiatives, et cetera. So they understand that dodgeball. So it's funny, I like to say catch ball first um, to help them um, understand what it is that we're trying to accomplish, but then we go quickly to dodgeball to, so they can understand that concept. Now catch ball, once they understand dodgeball, catch ball, oh, okay, now we're having a conversation. It implies that conversation that takes place, right? So a strategy is translated from one level of the organization to the next. Now we're throwing the ball back and forth and we're having a, a casual conversation. It's not dodgeball. So this, this does two things, in my opinion. First, I think there's better alignment to the strategy. Teams are given some autonomy to choose to align to what matters most to them at their level in the organization. And it helps um, more senior leaders understand the work closer to the front line. Two, it engages the entire organization in setting strategy. So at the end of our cycle, everyone has had some input. When you allow through the catchball process leaders to push back a little bit and say, this doesn't make sense to me and here's why, that means a lot to them that they, they had some input into the process. So um, that we've, we've had some feedback in the organization that the phrase catchball needs to go away, um, but it's not going away anytime soon. Catchball and dodgeball are great images to talk about strategy deployment. 
Well, and it brings people forward to the concept because many of us have grown in our professional career in a command and control culture, right? So it makes it a dialogue rather than a monologue. Um, and that's, that's helpful. And one of my favorite concepts you shared was the idea of the quarterly step back review. Why is that important to maintaining that sandcastle? I don't think there's any better way for a leader to understand how an operational unit is performing than actually going to that location and observing the processes. When we receive reports through a PowerPoint presentation, it is so easy to hide what you don't want to talk about. But when leaders go to the work site, they can tell in a matter of minutes how things are coming. You go and you actually talk to the caregivers that are doing the work. And these caregivers aren't shy, right? They'll they'll tell you like it is, you know, even the CEO, it's an opportunity for them to spend time with the senior leader. Uh, I think that, um, and once again, this may sound like an indictment, but I think sometimes senior leaders sugarcoat their reports to their supervisors. And so it's a way for supervisors to cut through that, go and actually see the work, ask questions, support teams, help them realize that they, they are trying to understand what is happening. It's been magic for our organization. And I think it's the best way for us to close the loop. And if you think about it, we, we started talking about strategy deployment um, today in our conversation. How do you know that teams are aligning to the strategy? What's a, what better way than to actually go and look at a performance board all the way down to the front line team at the unit level in the organization. And you can see that on their performance board, they have metrics around safety that align to the KPI of the organization around quality, et cetera. So you see that connection versus just hearing about it through a report or an email. It's a very satisfying way for leaders to understand what's happening. And what it has done in our organization is that it has allowed leaders to loosen the reins a little bit before everything was so tightly controlled I think because there wasn't trust that the strategy was translating. Now that they know that through the strategy deployment process and the catch ball, you know, they go and see this work being done through the step back reviews and they say to themselves, wow, this is really working. I can actually push some of these metrics further down in the organization and let them manage it because they're totally capable of doing it and they're doing quite well. And when there are challenges, then they can escalate them to us. So it, it's, I think it's one of the most important things that we have done at Intermountain Healthcare was instituting these step back reviews. You know, you used a word trust and it's it's a bi-directional word, right? And as trust is built, then the leader also has an opportunity, whether it's the executive, whatever as they attend, they're not trying to solve the problem. They're listening, learning, and looking for ways to remove obstacles. And, and that's an important part of the culture. That's that exactly right. To learn. So you also shared this tool, and I'm not, I don't want to use that word too strongly, but um, an action register. Now, how does this help you close the loop? Yeah, so it's okay to talk about tools, right? As long as they're in a greater context of being just one tool in a system that supports the greater system. And the way that I like to bring this up with teams, especially as I go, to go do observations this afternoon, I'll be at a hospital and I'll do some observations. And I just like to ask questions and you'll hear in huddles, these, these problems will come up and no one writes anything down. And well, I don't wanna say no one. A <laughs> few times they'll actually write something down and recognize that it's a problem. They'll, they may talk about it for a minute, but then they move on and then it's forgotten. When these issues come up, be it in a huddle you know, or in a meeting, 
Um, it's important to stop, you know, pause. And it's hard because we're trying to get through the huddle so quickly, but when you need to pause, it's okay to pause, write down what's the action, who's assigned to follow up on the action, when are they going to report back to us? And then when they come back, they now know exactly what's expected of them, they'll report back, these are our findings, this is what we need to do, we can close this out or we can keep this open, we can delay it a week, or you can come back and, and report um, a week later. Whenever these problems come up and we don't do anything about it, it shows great disrespect to those that are dealing with the problem day in and day out. When the problems arise, we need to pause, nip them in the bud, put them in the action register and do something about it. And then where possible, close the loop once again with the people that have brought up the problem so they actually realize that something was being done about it. So that's how we try to use action registers. It's a tool we use in our huddles, but also in meetings and other environments. Great. And and you also used a couple of pop culture references to help. And, <laughs> and I and and not just your presentation style, but if it carries th as it carries through your interaction within Intermountain, I, I gotta believe that increases the connectivity. Can you share those pop culture references? Do you remember them? Yeah, I think you're referring to the Mandalorian and to Mad-Eye Moody from Harry Potter. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm a big Star Wars fan and it's it's really hard for me actually to give a presentation without making some reference to a movie. And, and once again, this just goes back maybe to a little bit of what my style is, but it helps people remember some of these concepts that we're trying to, or, or these behaviors that we're trying to to create. So the Mandalorian mantra, and this didn't really come out in the regular Star Wars series, but it, it just came out in the Mandalorian series. But they they always say, you know, this is the way, you know, this is this is what we do as Mandalorians. This is the way that we operate. Um, and matter of fact, Peter, after I gave this presentation at the uh, retreat, I saw so, I went and sat in the audience and a leader sitting in front of me was researching on Amazon a Mandalorian helmet. So they could, <laughs> They want to buy a helmet and take it back to their team. I think it's a great concept, right? This is what we're trying to convey. We all need to use the operating model. There's no opting out. Everyone needs to do this in the organization because if we don't, there's competing priorities and silos. So we all need to be using the same model. This is the way. This is the way that we do our work. So um, th that resonates with people, especially those of us that are Star Wars nerds. And then the second reference is to another one of my favorite series, uh, which is Harry Potter. Mad-Eye Moody is an Auror, and he's named Mad-Eye because he has one false eye that spins around in, in his head. Um, but he's an Auror, and an Auror is responsible to be looking out for Dementors and, you know, the uh, the Dark Lord, or he who must not be named, you know, Lord Voldemort. And one of his phrases as he's running around doing this with his wand is he'll say constant vigilance. And it just, it requires constant vigilance to, to fight off these Dementors. And the work that we're doing, especially what we talked about with the Sandcastle and closing the loop, you know, this is hard work. People think that once you implement a model or you're, quote, doing continuous improvement, that it's just magic, right? And it just happens. It, it takes so much work. It takes constant vigilance. And so it's just a reminder that you always have to be looking out for where are the failure modes? What's going to happen? What, what can we do to keep things running smoothly? So just two of the 
uh, movie references or book references that I like to use. There are others, but those are the few that came out during my last presentation. Well, I would imagine it does help. Again, the sandcastle image, the, the references to pop culture, that helps people connect to their work on a very personal level. So help you know the listeners, what advice would you give to someone who wants to start the closing the loop process? What, what are the some first steps? I, I think first is recognize that you're already doing some things. Most people are doing some sort of a performance review or an operations review, and they recognize that. They're no, they may be called different things. That's fine. So make sure that those performance reviews or ops reviews are connecting back to your strategy that is closing the loop on your strategy. So take what you're already doing and see how you can improve it such that it's creating that system of systems. So I, I would say that's one of the first things teams can do. That's how I usually will answer when someone says, where do you start? They're they may not realize what they're already doing. They assume that they're not doing things when in fact they are. Um, and then I think that it's really easy to just add a layer of step back reviews and it, do it doesn't have to be complicated. Keep it simple. We just started by going and visiting teams. We didn't even have a set agenda. We just said, we wanna go see what your performance is. If you can show us your, your huddle board or your performance board, and then we just wanna to talk to some people. Um, Great, it, you know, we, it's now somewhat formal, maybe even too formal, actually. As a matter of fact, I think sometimes we do too much what I call CI scrapbooking, where the work is to do the CI part instead of just do your work, right? And let yeah. CI help you. But um, start by doing some of these simple step back reviews, get out of your office and just go and go and see. And I, I know we talk a lot about rounding, rounding is great. Um, but when you do this as a team, you learn so much. You And then you learn within your, your own organization, okay, when I go back here, now I can see the questions that I need to ask. And you can begin to formalize it a, a little bit more. Um, and these step-back reviews don't need to have a big production behind them. It can be really simple and straightforward. You should be prepared to do a step-back review at any time. So, But it really can just start with an administrative team getting out of their office and just going and seeing the work. And then later you can build a formal calendar of when you're going to do these things. But it's amazing what will happen when teams realize that you're willing to get out of your office, roll up your sleeves, put some scrubs on and come and see the work that they're doing. Yeah, I'm sure that would definitely start that connection. Um, and so Matt, any final thoughts you wanna share with the listeners? Sure. Um, it's been fun to reflect back on the last 10 years of my career. And I realize, you know, I think I'm finally gaining some experience that I wish I had had at the beginning. I wish I could go back and be an ED director again, knowing what I know now. Um, I think that we sometimes lose perspective of just how far we've come. Creating this culture of continuous improvement takes a lot of work, like we've already talked about. And it takes time. It's not easy to change a whole culture. Hopefully the organization that you work for already has some of this culture in place and it may just need to be redirected a little bit, but take a, take a moment every once in a while to just look in the rear view mirror and see where you were and how far you've come. Um, it, it, I think it's really important for you to recognize that you are making a difference. Each, each of these little steps makes a difference. 
I think it's important that senior leaders are engaged in this. They're the key. I mean, the, we started as a grassroots effort here, and I think grassroots efforts can be really successful. But as senior leaders go, the whole organization goes. Once the organization sees senior leaders doing huddles, everyone else will do huddles. Once they see they have a performance board, they'll also do performance board uh, performance boards. And so, and, and, and I could say that with multiple um, subsystems of our model. So, and it, it really does take some humility for all of us. It takes humility on the part of the leaders. They've all been trained in a different way. And when we come to them and say, we want to, to use continuous improvement, that's a, that's a big mind shift for them. So we need to be patient with them. And it takes a lot of humility for them to say, okay, I'm willing to think differently and let you um, help me uh, see things from a different perspective and a different lens. And then it takes patience and humility on the side of those that are maybe the change agents. So maybe the continuous improvement team, the OPEX team, whatever you call it. You need to recognize you don't have all the answers. It's, it's a team effort, right? They, the leaders that you're working with have great insight. You need to be willing to listen to them just like you want them to listen to you. And, you know, so it's this whole, all of this work takes a great deal of humility. None of us has arrived and we all need to work together and learn from each other. I think, Peter, this is one of the biggest benefits from an organization uh, such as Catalysis, is going to the last conference and staying connected through the other activities, learning about what each other is doing is so helpful because no one organization has figured all of this out. And um, we're stronger in so much as we will rely on each other and, and work together and share, um, share some of our learnings. So. Um, that's what I would say, I think, as, as final thoughts, Peter. I, I really have enjoyed having the conversation and uh, what a pleasure to be a part of this effort um, across the nation and really across the world. Thank you, Matt. And, and I really appreciate how you started with the take the time to celebrate because it is easy to forget that when we get on the treadmill and, and the rest of it ties together. So thank you for taking time to talk with us and sharing your thoughts with our community. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. Thank you, Peter. Been a great conversation. I agree. And, and we appreciate all of you for listening to help build our community of advocates for healthcare improvement. If you have any questions or ideas, just email us at events at createvalley.org and stop in at createvalley.org slash workshops to learn more about the offerings on management systems, other topics, learning more about continuous improvement in healthcare. Stay tuned for more episodes designed to help all healthcare leaders support their organizations on a journey to organizational excellence. Thank you for listening. Visit createvalue.org slash the lens to learn more about how catalysis can inspire you to accelerate change in your organization.